Welcome to Sci-Fi Tech Talk, the podcast where we explore the technology of sci-fi. I'm Mike McPeak, and with me today is Julie Keel. Hello. And Jeff Sire. Hello, everyone. And before we get into the uh, our topic, uh, our episode for today, uh, the show that we're going to talk about, we have uh, some news to announce here. We are actually doing this by uh, a Google Hangout. And so if you ever want to see what we look like, and I apologize to everyone in advance for the way I look, um, uh, and be part of a chat room and be able to talk to us while we're making the show. Go and, and, to, and get us help us get our facts straight. <laughs> yes, you guys can either be our memory alpha uh, or you can help us fill in our, our Swiss cheese memory here. Um, but if you want to be part of this, go to scifitechtalk.com slash live, and we'll try to tweet out um, when it's going to be so you guys can come join us and you know mock us, help us, encourage us, whatever. But be part of the audience. Be part of helping us make this podcast. Because there are times that we wish we've had somebody here to, as we're stumbling along, who could be, you know, instead of yelling at your iPhone, uh, you could be uh, typing in the uh, chat Daryl. room. Hey, yeah. Hey, idiot. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is the answer you need. Yeah. Yes. Uh, cool. We and I will confess to today is our you know first attempt at doing this for an actual recording. It is still quite rough. So we will uh, try and work out uh, some of the kinks and get our uh, our um, workflow down a little bit better. Simplify the process for all involved, and I have to give a shout out to Mark Shepard, who happens to be um, our first chat room participant. So yay! Who should we call him? What inaugural um, founding member, <laughs> charter member of the chat room? Or he's already coined it, guinea pig. Guinea pig, that works too. Yep. <laughs> Well, you know, uh, now that we're kind of walking along on wobbly legs here, why don't we uh, get this started and we'll see how it goes. And bottling say right now is, oh, boy. Um, <laughs> oh, just, very bad. Oh, I know. I just had to work that in because our episode today, we're going to talk about um, Quantum Leap. And we'll start with the synopsis here. Um, get ready to do join Dr. Sam Beckett uh, on, on the adventure of many lifetimes, a time traveler who never knows whose body he's going to leap into next, and at what moment in history he may find himself. Who will he be this time? Mafia hitman, Air Force test pilot, professional boxer. Sam does it uh, all in season one on the groundbreaking five-time Emmy award-winning series. And today we're going to talk about uh, the, season, the show opener, uh, Genesis, a, a two-part pilot. And I kind of teased last week that this was uh, one of my favorite shows. Um, and the reason I like it is... That, you know, you know, we've always made the comment about time travel, how it makes our head hurt. Well, this is time travel that's you know a little gentler and kinder, um, that you can kind of wrap your head around. You don't sit there and contemplate. They don't raise issues like you know becoming your own grandfather or anything like that. It just says you know what if you could go back in time? What if the time needs to be changed and you're the one to do it? Yeah, they don't have any. I'm not a big fan of Quantum Leap, and my comeback to they don't have any plots about being your own grandfather because that would be interesting. <laughs> and, and and we fastidiously stay away from interesting topics on this show. Like, I did not like Quantum Leap at all. I remember I was in college when it first came out, and they I remember all of the hype. It was like a I think it was a it it debuted uh, halfway through or something like that. I don't think the first season was a full was a full one, and 
it was just like I, I remember my roommate and I at the end of the first episode we were like, oh, uh, that's it. Uh, okay. <laughs> yeah, you know, I could, I could. The, this falls into the genre of science fiction without a doubt. It is based on some form of science, and it's certainly fiction. Um, but it is certainly more about. I, I suppose you could call it a time travel. Um, theme. I mean, that is what it does. It, but it, it's it, the premise of it to some extent absolutely violates the first, the prime directive of time travel. Can I call yeah. Star Trek reference? You know what? Two minutes in, um, because initially, even in this first pilot episode, he's made contact with his dad. You know, he's basically crossed the streams, <laughs> and. Yeah. Uh, you know, like you say, going back and becoming your own grandfather. I mean, almost. Plus, by almost by definition, well, at least you know, by the TV definition of time travel, you can't go back and change it. You know, because then, you know, everything from that point on changes then too. So then, you know, you just kind of go poof. Um, so even in the in this pilot episode where literally, it's a good thing it was called a pilot episode because that's what he did. He jumped back <laughs> and he became a pilot. Um, but yeah, I know. <laughs> I, I swear to God that was done intentionally. But the um, the idea that you're, that you go back in time to change history is, you know, any other show that deals with time travel would go no. <laughs> Whereas yeah. this one does it on a weekly basis. Well, since well, you brought the, up the, the the fact about talking to his own father, I wanted to throw in a bit of trivia here. You guys remember the movie Source Code about yeah. the uh, bomber that has to relive the last eight minutes of a person's life trying to uh, stop the uh, uh, the bomber or figure out where the bomber is going to go? Well, they had that one scene in there where the bomber or the uh, the guy. Uh, the source code guy talks to uh, is able to call up his own dad and talk to him, and that part right. was played by uh, Scott Bakula um, from the Quantum Leap series, uh, playing the father. I thought that was just kind of interesting. And I mean, that was a time travel uh, type show too. So I think that that was kind of their homage to Quantum Leap on that show was having Scott Bakula do that cameo as that guy's father. That I, I I'm sure that's why they picked him up because that, oh, that uh, that's sure. a logic that's a, a, a that's very, like an Easter yeah. egg for geeks. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, the time travel and quantum leap they cross two different things because like I think uh, we talked about it in the episode where we went over time travel that for like real science people who are talking about the potential for time travel, one of the things that they say is that if you created a time travel machine, you could probably never go back in time before the time that that machine was created. And they've crossed that idea with the idea of, of Sam's lifespan, that he can't jump back before the time he was born. So it's, I think they've, you know, in the writing for this show, they've just kind of, you know, drawn these little strands and then kind of weaved it into a into a story. Probably well, saying, it, "Well, it's it's much more interesting because we've just created the time machine now. Like, it's no sense jumping back and forth over the few weeks after the time machine created. So, we'll just link it to your to your personal life, and you can jump anytime in in that period." And, and it's funny you just talk about you know strings because that was the one bit of attempt to explain this whole situation. Uh, to, I, I hate to call it the science behind it because it was 
no. But you know, basically, um, Albert took a, uh, Albert, yeah, took a um, string and tied the two ends together and said, "This is your birth. This is your death." You know, here's the two ends of the string tied together. Crumple it up, and every place that that string crosses is where he can jump. Okay, I'm sorry, but that, I mean, just from a science standpoint, first off, that is a completely random jumble of time at that point. Whereas in the, in the TV show, that he goes back to very specific points in time to do very specific things. You know, the, that, time, that time strand is, you know, just a, a jumble. Um, you know, and even this first episode, he's out there to, to, to the day of, you know, this guy hitting Mach 3 to go save his life. For what reason? I don't even know that. Just because we don't want him to die. It's not like, it's not, not clear. There's, it's not part of the story that he goes on now to do something else. I mean, that, that's where Quantum Leap just falls down is that the fact that they're there to change time. To change events in time, and then to some extent, you know, by doing that, absolutely nothing happens. Nothing changes. What was that so, TV I mean, show uh, in the '90s with Michael Landon, where he's an angel and he just goes oh, around? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah he just goes heaven. around. Yeah, exactly. Highway to Heaven, and he just goes around helping people solve problems. This is Highway to Heaven. They're just using sci-fi and like. Uh, and they're doing this time travel thing, and he just like in each episode, he's in a different place in a different town. It's kind of like the uh, Incredible Hulk TV show, where you know each each episode is a different town and some other thing, and he's just there setting the the course of time right, and then at the end, he hops out to some other thing, right? Yeah, and you know the Quantum Leap really, like I said, it's not science; it's science fiction, but it's way more on the fiction than the science and and it's you call it a plot device I mean they simply go back in time to identify these moments in in history and these situations where you know they can make a difference and all this I mean it it's a great storytelling device um, but it's you know scientifically there's little yeah. or nothing to it <laughs> I mean well, even at the beginning uh, in the in the time machine itself he's standing there with his you know wind machine blowing under him in this <laughs> you know wonderful light it's like there there was absolutely no explanation up to that point yeah why does why do you have to wear a unitard what is right, what is it about too. time travel that requires you to wear a unitard and and why the lights on the horizon and tell me about um Albert's car you know yeah. and what the heck did he pick up by the side of the road too i mean you know yeah. the flashing high heels and and um earrings it's like okay wait a minute <laughs> what so and, and now that we have iPads everything that Albert does with his little right it is, like that okay. looks just so ridiculous he like pounding his finger on this little pad it does but that was the only piece of technology of note at all in the entire <laughs> show right it was yeah. the fact that he had essentially a gorilla glass um, iPhone should we call it that yeah. Well, it better um, be Gorilla Glass. He was pounding on it so hard. Right, yeah. I mean, it was basically see-through. It was the, the whole see-through thing. You know, the I suppose, minor, well, I guess Quantum Leak was before Minority Report, but, you know, the the, the glass panel touchpad type of thing. And, and other than, which, other than being a prop, uh, we have no idea what it does either. It's it's as the show plays out over the next five seasons too. I mean, he like you say, he pounds on it constantly, but it it's you know what does it do? It just it's a it's Wikipedia is what it is near as I can tell. <laughs> 
Well, I think it's the way he communicates with uh, Ziggy, isn't it? Sure. Right. It's an iPhone. Wikipedia. Ziggy. Ziggy's Wikipedia. Yeah. <laughs> 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 but Ziggy doesn't have a personality or anything, is it? It just. Well, oh, I don't know. They were trying to give him one in this pilot episode. Well, I think uh, further on in the show, I think they, uh, Ziggy becomes a, a kind of develops a female personality, and they also kind of refer to it as a hybrid, uh, a hybrid computer, which I think it was part DNA and part um, a computer. I think they never really go on to describe it, but that's just kind of what I'm thinking that it was kind of a um, you know a, a mix of uh, DNA and electronics uh, to. Uh, think you know more like a human being. Try to predict the future. Try to predict. Well, actually, try to predict Sam's. Look at Sam's past and try to predict the future based on what needs to be changed. There, I think it may have actually had some Sam's DNA in there, which is what how, which allowed it to be able to predict these things with a little more accuracy. Well, there was something about Sam's. We'll call it DNA. So his biology involved in this because that is how Albert appeared. I forget the total a techno babble that they threw at it, but it was uh, some sort of neurological holographic projection. It came down to it's like, and that was only visible by him. So you know, in 2013, we would say, yeah, he had a DNA link into him. Um, so it's. It's really, and, and they were starting to try to establish some sort of personality for Ziggy, even in this pilot episode. You know, Ziggy didn't want to give that answer. It wasn't that, you know, the, the, the idea of want um, is not something that I associate with my computer unless I'm really peeved at it. I mean, my computer doesn't want anything. It, it might not cooperate with me, but that's probably my problem. <laughs> um, so, like I say, they, they, they were trying to... Um, Anthropomorphize, I suppose, Ziggy. Uh, right. No, I think give it, yeah, a personality that the viewers could relate to, or uh, some to give it kind of a um, so it can have comic effect of its own, I guess. So it could make you know jokes or. Well, or think of Marvin from Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. I mean, anthropomorph. All of our data, uh, androids, R two D two. I mean, we do this all the time. That's um, not a new thing. Matter of fact. Even the robots that they were showing at CES, you know, were, you know, last week, um, people were talking about them with personalities. So we do that. I mean, that's just humans. Yeah, we anthropomorphize everything. <laughs> everything. I saw. I saw an onion. And... I saw an onion across my Twitter stream this week. Somebody had cut into an onion and held it up, and 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 it looked like an angry face. So <laughs> you know, that was the big Twitter thing: angry onions. You know, it's like okay. But well, I that's think it's what easier, we do. Yeah, it's easier for us humans to you know treat something like another being rather than an inanimate object. It it's our quirk, I guess. Well, you guys seem to no, I mean, yeah, from a science standpoint, uh, yeah, Quantum Leap didn't exactly stand up. I guess the reason why I liked it, you know, try to defend myself here a little bit, um, is just the fact of it was an interesting way to go back and look at different uh, topics and uh, subjects that happen throughout history uh, be, to be able to look at something from the past with a modern point of view. 
you know, if we were to jump back into the the 50s and look at like uh, uh, the portrayal of women or you know minorities or whatever, this was certainly a different way to do it because you could they had to act within their the confines of their time, but we could bring our morals and values to that uh, and be able to examine the stories. I think it was a good way to examine a lot of these things first, take a closer look at you know a lot of the things from our past and see what we think about it and see if they what we thought at the time, how it stands up to what we live and see today. Or yeah, just how different it right. might be, because even in this episode, okay, pregnant woman, um, drinking, smoking, <laughs> what, you know, what all that stuff that today would get you thrown in jail to a large extent. Um, it, it, and some of the other stuff, that it was just totally culturally, you know, time wise appropriate for their time and shocking to ours so you know that to, to me one of the interesting bits of science that is not necessarily the intended bit in in quantum leap but it it plays out is the, the psychology i mean how messed up would your head be if you suddenly popped into another body on another time zone you know a time frame not zone i mean you know another time point in time and then um had to adapt had to roll with the flow had to just go with it um you know how would that affect you and then the other part that is barely mentioned in this show is that the person that you know sam uh, Beckett jumps into that person jumps forward to take over his body apparently so you know we never know I don't remember any and I have obviously didn't go back and watch five seasons worth between last week and this week but I don't know if it's ever dealt with what happens to the person who Sam Beckett replaced for the short period of time you know how messed up did they get going into the future and then having to go back to their normal lives and you know, deal with how, that. How much would that suck for those technicians that are there? Because like every half hour, somebody's going to jump in like, oh my God, am I in yeah. the future? Yeah, you're yeah. in the future. <laughs> well, you know, uh, to some extent, I think what you would do is just build a white box, you know, with a glass of water in the corner and just right. not even speak to them. Just leave them there until it was time for them to shoot them back because it would be much harder to interact with them. And, you know, it's the whole... Everything goes back to Star Trek, you know, uh, you, prime directive. It truly is the prime directive in this case where, you know, you just can't mess with the development, cultural development. So it. Um, but, but they do it every week. Uh, yeah. yeah. Every, and, and every for, single episode. And for brief periods of time, yeah. Well, I, I kind of remember the episode, but I didn't go back and rewatch it, but it, I went through the uh, research, and uh, I do recall the episode. There was one where Sam jumps into the body of a serial killer, and then that that person escapes from his holding cell, and so Sam can't leap until they bring him back. Um, and so I thought that was an interesting to us. But like I, said, I don't remember the episode, the basic plot to it at all. It's been... Oh, I think you know since it was on the air was the last time I saw it. So yeah, and this uh, was like 1989, I think, was when these started. So it's been a while. Yeah, and I have trouble with the day before yesterday. You know that <laughs> that's why I like the phrase Swiss cheese memory because that kind of is me. I can remember certain things and not others. So you know I can relate to that. But um, yeah, I don't remember that specific episode. But that was something that you know what it, you know uh, the guy got out and was running around. And I don't remember. Again, I don't remember what he was doing, but that was an interesting take. I thought, what if one of those yeah. people did get out and run around? It's probably worth saying, or at least mentioning, that uh, 
we don't have shows like this anymore because of a piece of real world tech, and that's the PVR. Like back when this was filmed, nobody nobody had PVRs, and not uh, a small segment of the population was using VCRs to record shows. So they were because of the nature of the the viewing audience. Every show had to be somebody's was somebody's stepping on point. You couldn't go back and start from the pilot, so you had these one-off shows. Like there was no cohesive um, uh, season-spanning plot arc like right. we expect today. Every show has it: The Shield, The Wire, um, you know, Enterprise, and DS9. Like by that point. They could start to do that, but even like uh, when Next Generation was starting, that was still, you know, weird alien of the week with weird hands, and weird forehead, and uh, just all these one-off episodes. Right? Honestly, I was surprised when I went back to look at when this was on the air that it was late '80s, essentially the early '90s. Yeah. It had more of a feel of the '70s. It, it it really kind of was that simplistic story, like you say, standalone. Uh, episodes, not much depth to it, feel good uh, yeah. type of thing. Uh, and Ron Belisario, I believe, was the writer of it. I was just going to say so, that, yeah. yeah. That I think that that's as much as a, a function of of his involvement because he was he's part of that whole school of like he's a formula guy, right? And all mm -hmm. of his shows fall into that. You know, this is the formula, and you stick to the formula, right? Yeah, it's not a bad formula. Uh, I, I'm not. I'm not saying it's it's bad, but it's just, uh, you know, that's that's from that period of of television, and that's just that's just how it worked, right? Well, so. you, you let know, me see. okay, totally not. Go ahead, Mike. No, I was gonna say. Uh, uh, so basically, you guys are calling this the love boat of sci-fi. Uh, yeah, essentially. Well, and there's love. Love Boat's another good example of the standoff, feel-good, right. simplistic type of thing. What's it? You know, it's interesting though. Um, how much more complicated TV has gotten since then, and yeah. how much crappier it's gotten. Although, is looking oh, at oh, I wouldn't at, say at, that. Well, depending, go look at a at a uh, the lineup. You know, you've got things like American Idol, and you know, in the, we were we it was simpler times back then, basically. But you, because you only had three main networks. And yep. that was really it. Like now, I, well, I think you're right in that uh, now you have this a far wider breadth for television, right? You have far more available to you than you ever had before, and that means in you know on on in all spec in the whole spectrum, right? So you have more incredibly good television. Like I I think this is like the golden age of television, right? I think. Like shows like Breaking Bad, The Wire, like television is better than it's ever been, but at the same time, it's probably worse than it's ever been. Right, the best of times, <laughs> the worst of times. Yeah, because yeah. you like, I'm right. I am right there with you with American Idol. Like American Idol, the fact that they have like 30 million people watch that on a night, like. I honestly think that's reason for people to really be concerned about society, right? <laughs> I would know, honestly. I've never seen yeah. it anyway, but that's okay. Um, but yeah, it's it, and I think, boy, into you know, and the difference between three networks and you know, cable TV these days, uh, something like Quantum Leap would have would have been something like Stargate Universe. It would have had a very niche audience, and it would not have lasted long. It would not have been five seasons in today's 
environment. No way. So. No. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so I I can't say that I don't like it. Matter of fact, I was um, I was asking my oldest son if he remembered it, and he was quite young when it was actually on the air. But he says, "Are you kidding? Of course I do." My mother actually happens to be a huge fan of Quantum Leap, and of course, back in the day, it was on reruns. You know, syndication. It would be on all the time. So you know, I'm sure both of them have probably seen every episode four or five times because it would just be on. And given the three choices, it was better than the other. Too. So, well, of course, you know that's how I got the familiar with Star Trek was you know through syndication and everything like that. So there's something to be said for it. But yeah, you know, you know, and it's, you know, we were talking about TV. It's just not TV either. I mean, I, I've got a Roku box upstairs. You can get all sorts of, and you know, we're putting, we're making online entertainment, uh, and so there's you know, m um, many choices for what you're going to watch out there. I don't know, you know, if it's possible to crank out a show like that anymore and be able to get an audience to it. Yeah, I don't know either. Matter of fact, yeah. it it um, strikes, you know, it, it's so different. I mean, just TV in general. We're so far away from science fiction right now, but um, it, it's, you know, the, the, the environment of TV, the, the, the lack of... of um, you know, like you say, plot arcs and science fiction in this quote-unquote science fiction show. I mean, basically, it, the, the, the science fiction um, sales pitch that you give to the studios for actually you know, funding and producing this thing is, oh, what if we sent a guy back in town to like, change these crucial moments in people's lives? Hey, that sounds really cool. Go do it. You know, yeah. That's about it. I mean, that is the total plot summary of every episode of Quantum Leap. So... Well, and he looks nice and has a good personality too. So right, and 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 I just got to give kudos to Scott Bakula to, to pull off this that premise. I mean, the idea of of going in, you know, portraying that disorientation of being in somebody else's body, as well as trying to do all the different things they threw him into. I mean, the even this pilot episode, he starts off as a test pilot and winds up as a baseball player, you know, so even as an actor, he's got to do a lot. As a matter of fact, it kind of reminds me of Dollhouse, as far as, um, you know, versatility of the actor or actors involved. Um, but, yeah, from, from a science fiction standpoint there's there's just not even much to talk about um, it's they sent him I, back in time with some some you know time machine that put out flights in the horizon and and okay <laughs> I just wanted to say that uh, when I started uh, uh, reading stuff on uh, Wikipedia about this I looked at quantum leap season one and the first thing that I read said uh, uh, it received a Creative Arts Emmy for outstanding achievement in hairstyling for the uh, for for a series for the work on Double Identity. Oh so, shoot! I was gonna say I was, thought it was the, the his wife's hair in this episode. It was no, actually it wasn't wasn't this episode. Okay. Well, it did win five Emmys. Yeah, and they were sort of the uh, yeah uh, okay. Well, it did win two Globe and, uh, Golden Globe Awards. I think one for uh, Stock, uh, Dean Stockwell and one for Scott Bakula. Yeah, and then the Emmys is for hairstyling, um, out, uh, cinematography, makeup, um, 
Yeah, an individual achievement in editing for a series. So, yeah, it wasn't, you know... It did, you know, maybe that year the competition was kind of light, so maybe it wasn't too hard to pull off. Right. And again, I think that speaks more to the versatility of what they were trying to do than any sort of acting or story or writing or anything like that. It was just, you know, you have to take this and and transform these people and this environment. I mean, this had to have been somewhat expensive to to create, too. I mean, you don't have just one set. Um, you, you've got all these different things that they're doing. I'm like, even, oh sure, I understand we were using, re, reusing video clips from the Air Force in this episode. I mean, you saw that that one aircraft do a roll at least three times, same roll. Um, but uh, I, even I so... It, it probably wouldn't be too expensive. Costuming, I think, would be a lot because you would have all of this uh, period stuff, but they're doing it with a major network, so I bet that they just have like racks and racks of like 1950s clothes, 1970s clothes, you know. Whatever. Well, you probably get to take a tour, you know, every stage in the back lot at Paramount Studios, you know, or whoever was the studios that put this on. Um, just, you know, okay, we're going to go over here and do shoot over here. Oh, let's go to this other set over here. Great, that'll right. work out too. Hey, you guys done for the day? Do you mind if we come in and shoot an episode of Quantum Leap? Great, then thanks, you know. Um, so. It's, uh, yeah, they, there is no, unlike something like Star Trek, where there is like three rooms, that's 80% of the show, um, Quantum Leap does not have that at all. There isn't even a, a, a lab that they go back to very much. Well, it didn't have the one thing that drives you nuts, Julie, and that's Technobabble. Actually, I'm, I am not opposed to Technobabble. It had a brilliant spiel of Technobabble in this uh, one. Just, just one run-on sentence, basically. I'm absolutely... Um, Technobabble, to me, astonishes me in the creativity of the people who come up with the Technobabble. <laughs> so as much as it may or may not uh, help the story, I'm just absolutely awed sometimes by the crap that people come up with to try and make it sound plausible and and the one occurrence in this show is another example they threw in just enough latin roots to 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 hold it together and, and give you a clue as to what it was they were trying to communicate you know it made no sense but it was plausible so well, okay, you know, I'll take one more run at trying to redeem this show. <laughs> and I guess maybe the reason why I liked it at the time was the fact that there was, uh, yeah, this was the late 80s. There wasn't a lot of science fiction on TV, as I remember. Um, and so for somebody who did like science fiction, um, you know, this was something to, you know, hang on to. Yeah, maybe, you know, the science was a little weak and, you know, it was kind of a story of the week uh, type format. But, you know, I think just... Uh, Anything out there that kind of kept science fiction alive and kept people thinking about it, I kind of figured was a good thing. Yeah. I, I, I was probably a little bit too strong. Like, I shouldn't say I don't like it. Like, I just think it's kind of campy. It's yeah, not. It's, this is not my kind of sci-fi. Yeah. Uh, it's. Well, remember, I grew up watching Batman on TV, the original TV show, so I'm used uh, to campy. But Bat <laughs> Batman is a, a weakness for me. I. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, and to some extent, it, it's kind of like um, we were talking about when we were talking about Sunshine. Quantum Leak makes no bones about trying to be scientific. It is campy, feel-good type of thing. 
take it face value. It's it's fine. It's I could argue it's even brilliant. But yeah. if you if you want it to be some sort of hardcore science, you know, stick to the truth. Oh my God, what did you do to the timeline? Type stuff. Forget it. Don't. Yeah. I, I would still take stuff something like Quantum Leap over Sunshine, where it's not only just you know like it's just wrong, you know. <laughs> yeah. And 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 it's doing stuff scientifically that like. It doesn't make any sense, and they don't explain it in a way that you know seems plausible. It, it's like sunshine lies to you, yeah. As far as the science goes, but quantum leap just doesn't just says trust me, you know. Yeah, and, and I'm like, we're going to give you, a, we're going to show you in the pilot the mechanism that's going to run this show, and then we're not going to really go into it anymore. We're just going to, you know, you just trust us that he flips from person to person. That's the premise for the show, and we're going to leave that alone. We're going to put that back on the shelf. <laughs> to some extent, that's like Doctor Who, a little. Yeah, actually, same yeah, thing. it is. Yeah. yeah, yeah, same thing. We have no idea how the TARDIS actually works, but it is a you know storytelling device that allows us to travel in time and space. Well, you know, maybe I should have done a little bit more research and see what else there was for science fiction on TV at that time. I just pulled up Star Trek Next Generation. That started in 87, so that would yep. have been on the air for, you know, two years. But really, could how at that time when, you know, there was only the few networks, how easy would it have been to get a good science fiction TV show on the air because there's going to be a lot of executives that are going to be sitting there saying people don't want to have to think that much they don't want to have to you know have all this you know techno babble or whatever thrown at them um, I think uh, the, I, maybe the only reason that Star Trek was able to get on was because of you know the legacy of the old Star Trek series you know so maybe that was uh, able to get on you know I'm just wondering how easy it would have been to be able to get a good science fiction show on the network at that time and maybe you know, to give them a little credit, this was the you know maybe the best they could do that the television studios would bite on. That's interesting thought right. because the, I let let's uh, uh, what you just described leads me to believe that actually there was a lot of science fiction on at that time. So one of two things: everybody was trying to jump on the science fiction you know bandwagon. That I will say probably Star Trek was leading. You know, the success of Star Trek Next Generation. Everybody's like, oh yeah, science fiction's great stuff. Let's do more of that. So they would put on all kinds of stuff. Um, or there wasn't much stuff on the air, and people are like, you know, people are are screaming for this. We have this one good show over here. We need more. Quick, what do you got? Quantum leap. Okay, let's go with it. You know. But you know, there is like kind of in the in the nerd culture, there's that thing of like, it's almost like we've got to like this even if it's bad because right. they might never put this stuff on again, right? Yep. Yeah. Yeah, this is true. Take what you can get, you know, and be and be happy for it, right? Yeah. Starving kids syndrome. <laughs> <laughs> Enjoy those mashed potatoes. Yeah. Somebody in Africa doesn't have anything. Right. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. Because you know, you just yeah, we like I say we were kind of happy to get what we could get, and you know, I w wished I could, you know. You know, if I was better at Google Foo here while I was talking, try and bring up what there was for science fiction back in the 80s and just see, you know, uh, I'm thinking that maybe this was the best we could get at the time. Yeah. So. Yeah, I'm happy with uh, the way things have, have gone and the way things are today. Like, uh, I, I wonder if there will ever come a time with... Uh, um, serialized TV if, if it goes back to this, just one-off shows. You know, I was 
game thinking too. Nerds weren't a thing in in the '90s. You know when this was on. It really, we do, we are nerd culture, geek culture is a thing today. Back then, you were Steve Wozniak and Steve Jobs in the garage hiding from well you know, everybody. So it it's yeah it's uh, when we're talking in the chat room here even a little bit about the idea that you know somebody has to pay for this stuff and and today we may not be a big audience but the nerd audience is there and if you can find the right niche the nerd audience has money as well yeah. um, whereas back in the early 90s I don't know if that was an established target audience well there was a nerd culture back then but we were just trying to hide to make sure that we didn't get our underwear pulled over right, our heads. Yeah, you know get beat up for your lunch money that kind of stuff right yeah. Yeah. and I think it took people like you know uh, Gates and Wozniak and Jobs that kind of you know made nerds cool and you know it, it took a while to get there and then I think once maybe television execs realized that a there's nerds out there B they have a lot of money and C they can control the future I think maybe they started changing their minds a little bit about programming and maybe did start Treating us as you know a, a true demographic that uh, they would you know pay some attention to and maybe actually take seriously. I, I read somewhere they were talking about uh, sports broadcasting, and the guy who was uh, writing the article said, "Why is there so much golf programming?" Because uh, they said viewership is always very low for golf shows, uh, for, uh, for you know the Masters or whatever. Like not a lot of people watch golf on TV. But he said they always televise it, and why is that? And he said, well, it's because people who watch golf buy stuff. Right, it's and, a high-income demographic. And when you watch golf, yeah, high-income demographic, and those people do buy stuff, and it's car ads, and and yep. you know that Back makes sense. And like, you know, the when Star Trek was in syndication in the '70s, that kind of cemented this group. Of, you know, that we're all, all three of us are in that generation where. We grew up watching syndicated Star Trek in the 70s as kids, and then we grew up into the adults. Well, you know, we are financially, we're a, a big target for advertising. So, yeah, I can, I can totally it, it, see why you would, you would want to, uh, you know, market to that demographic. Mark Shepard makes a good point, too, that science fiction was pretty popular in the 50s and 60s, too. Um, and, but I think that was a different type of thing. That was a societal fear. Um, you know, we were still reeling, I think, from the nuclear bomb era, and the UFO thing was going on, and and it was more normal. Can, can, can I dare say, like normal people working out their, you know, well, nightmares, as opposed to true nerds that. Like in the seventies, we'll say with Star Wars and Star Trek, that say no, this is my thing. So, but, you're, but what you're basically saying was, uh, it was therapy. It was a way for them to, right. you know, put their fears onto the screen, and then you know, once you know, maybe once you you know, visualize your fears, it becomes less you know scary. Yep. So the minute you can name it, it's manageable. Yep. Mm -hmm. So maybe that was it. It was just a. Uh, a, a way to manage, uh, you know, fear and, you know, and maybe, th and, and think about the future. But, yeah, it's not like what it is, you know, today where, you know, I think it, a, a lot of imagining of different possibilities and exploring things and, and even just, like I say, I think it's uh, science fiction has always been a good way to look at things from our past and explore them and, and, and have a, be able to comment on them without, 
you know, truly hitting the hot button topics that they involve. And uh, I think that's always been sci-fi's big uh, strength. And so I think, yeah, the culture has changed over time. And, you know, now that you've got people who embrace it and love it, then, you know, even if you watch, you know, like the Big Bang Theory where they get into, you know, almost fist fights over, you know, <laughs> could you lift Thor's hammer or, you know, whatever, you know, that kind of um, level of fandom, um, you know, now science fiction has gone into its, you know, uh, new new realm or it's you know a different beginning now right <laughs> we're going off on a tangent here but when you're talking about lifting thor's hammer that scene in the avengers where uh hulk w- tried to pick up the hammer and his feet were sinking into the deck i was like i was so excited like i know why he can't lift that eh? <laughs> <laughs> oh that i was like Jeff, one of my favorite really moments concerned about you yeah. <laughs> Your nerdiness just reached new levels there. <laughs> uh, too funny, too funny. Uh, well, as far as Quantum Leap goes, it's really hard to do, to matter of fact, to some extent, it's really hard to do these podcasts on TV shows because it's really hard to watch an entire series, much less five years' worth of shows in a week so we can comment on it. So you wind up taking just a small little chunk like the pilot episode, and there's not a lot. that This one especially needs to play out over time to, to talk about. To talk. Some, some shows maybe not are a little easier than this one. Like the pilot episode of Battlestar Galactica would have been, you know, there's plenty of tech in that one to talk about. Quantum right. Leap, not, not so much. But, you know, the, this whole idea of... Um, the one thing that we haven't really talked about much that might be a piece of tech was, again, there was these lights on the horizon. So whatever they were doing to send him back in time, I assume because of that little you know, special effect, can we call it that, <laughs> um, is a power intense something or other. Um, there's, there's, you know, again, you're left having no clue what the heck's going on. You're not sure where they're located. You get the impression it's, you know, Area 51 or something. You don't really even know what year that they're from. Did you remember, did they mention what year? I mean, eventually you understand that he was probably born in the 70s or 60s, somewhere in there. 63? Anyway, I think they actually say what his you, actual I birth think date he was. To, he was born in the late 50s. 50s, yeah. I think yeah. I think he was sent back to 53, but on his his uh, uh, Trivial Pursuit questionnaire, they uh, he said his birth date was 57 or 59, I think. So, yeah. Um, well, I, I kind of went and watched the final episode. Did you? Um, Yes, and I, you know, it, and the problem with the final episode was that they filmed it so it could go either way as either a series ender or a season ender, and they had gotten assurances from the network that they were going to be renewed. Well, then at the last minute, they kind of changed their mind, so they kind of had to cobble the last episode together, and it didn't wasn't real fulfilling, and it had some, you know, left some questions there. But uh, in that episode, he leaps back to the day of his birth, August eighth, nineteen fifty three. Um, And I remember August 8th because that's my oldest son's birthday. Um, His birthday is actually 8-8 of 88. But so when I heard, you know, August 8th, I thought, okay, you know. And so he actually jumped back to the day uh, that he was born, probably about the time that he was born. Um, 
And so that's, uh, you know, that, that is the date of his birth. And I think as far as the time frame goes, I don't remember them stating a year, but I think it was like the la- uh, end of the 20th century or something like that. I don't think, I don't think we're into this century yet. So I think that was kind of the time frame they were using for that. Right. You know, one thing that was interesting in here that you might fall under technology was those psychological tests. The, the idea, they were at a, at a point in time where they were seriously doing scientific research on the idea that you would lose your memory at Mach 3. Um, you know, that, that was a potential thing that they really didn't have an answer for because they had no, you know, data. Um, so <laughs> they were having fun with that, obviously. They were playing pranks and, and whatever. But um, the idea that that was actually being taken halfway seriously kind of is a nod to the complete unknown that those folks were playing in at that time. I mean, yeah, and the space program was had not, it was 10 years before the space program was announced. Yeah, I think if we want to, you know, you know, try to tie tech into the show, I think maybe what, you know, the interesting part is looking at the tech of when he jumps back cuz you know this first episode yeah was they were trying to break Mach 3 you know and uh, laying the framework for the space program and uh you know a lot of that stuff so i think maybe that is the tech angle is to look at you know the um the tech that he has to jump into, he has to deal with, like, um, you know, the old uh, the phone numbers. Uh, we never had <laughs> yeah. one quite that, like that. But, I mean, uh, when we lived up until, like, about 10 years ago in town here, all you had to dial was two, which is the last number of our prefix and the other four numbers. Now we have to dial out all, you know, oh, heaven forbid, you know, we have to dial out all, you know, seven of the numbers to, you know, call somebody. Um, but now with push buttons, it's not so bad. I mean, we had the old, you know, dial phones uh, that we had to use. <laughs> it's funny you should mention that. We were just talking about this uh, this week, and I can't remember what show we were watching, but a rotary phone. Oh, I know what it was, Louis C.K. Um, the Talking about rotary phones, you know, back in the old days, things were horrid. You actually had to dial, and God forbid that uh, you would have a number that had a nine in it because it was like nine, you know. <laughs> and I'm like, seriously, that is why we have 911 as our emergency number is from the rotary phone days because you did not dial nine accidentally, and you could interrupt it if you did. But once you dialed 911, please, as fast as I can, I mean, that is literally why we have 911. Huh. Yeah, we yeah. I have rotary phones at my work at like a, a few places. Yeah. yeah. Oh boy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I'm I have having... I have an old phone in this house, but it, even that is still one of those touch um, wall phones, touch line, trim line. So I can't remember what they used to call them, but yeah. And you know, as long as we're in, we're getting old and nerdy here, you know, the, uh, let's not forget party lines and all that great stuff. Yeah. So, so I think. Well, no, go ahead. Well, I wonder, too, if maybe that was an on-base thing. You definitely get the impression they were on-base. And funny you talk about work situations because our work just did the opposite. We went from 10-digit dialing down to 5-digit dialing, you know, the in-network numbers. So, um, you know, whatever. But the idea that they didn't have area codes. When did area codes become a technology? I suppose once the the operators didn't start plugging, you know, stopped plugging things in at the PBX exchange. So, yeah, I don't yeah, know. You see, I, we never had Before numbers my up time. here. Look, 
Yeah, we never had numbers like, you know, Elmwood 567 or whatever, you know. Um, we, we never had to deal with that. We had, you know, numbers all the time, but we did have party lines. We did have that. So, you know, I didn't couldn't quite wrap my head around that because I never had to experience it. But, you know, I'm sure, uh, you know, older people are, you know, people who lived out east where the telephone systems were established first would deal with that sort of uh you know, a numbering system where you had to call an operator and she had to connect you. And, um, you know, they always made the joke on like Mayberry RFD where the, uh, or some of those other shows where the operator would sit there and listen in on the calls, you know, now we call it the NSA, but, um, (laughs) you know, um, you know, yeah, times have changed, you know, especially like telephone technology. Right. Yep. Well, I think we've probably beat the technology, the two, pieces of technology three maybe do we finally find three hey the the, the uh, planes were cool <laughs> <laughs> they were oh yeah <laughs> they were yeah well yeah and, like i say i think we pretty much covered the tech and you know, like i say uh, and i think for you know my, my the reason I like the show is the fact that you know examine a lot of the uh, you know the the topics of the day and go back and re-examine them and kind of get people to think about that um was there anything you guys wanted to, you know, add in the wrap up or? Oh, I'm not above um, liking a show simply because it's feel good and makes you think a little bit about another place and time in a different situation. So I'm cool with Quantum Leap. Hardcore sci-fi, not even close. But a fun show, sure. All right. Uh, any, uh, Jeff, any last comments? I didn't hate it. There. <laughs> okay. <laughs> We'll we'll take your lukewarm endorsement, and and with that we'll uh, we'll end this episode of uh, uh, Sci-Fi Tech Talk. Uh, you can check us out at SciFiTechTalk.com, where there's plenty of cool space junk available to purchase. Um, or you can follow us on Twitter at Sci-Fi Tech Talk. Uh, if you have any ideas or comments, please send them to Sci-Fi Tech Talk. Uh, at gmail.com uh, and reviews and iTunes are always welcome and you know and spread the word that you know anybody uh, come listen to us at uh, listen to our podcasts and that live uh, we'll tweet it out we'll let you know when uh, when we're up and running and just come in and you know and make some comments you know we thank Mark Shepard for being here tonight and you know being part of our peanut gallery and Oh, Sandbagger was out there too, so we had a couple in the chat room. So yay! Yay! The so, the, the people pushing the final frontier, the Sci-Fi Tech Talk chat room. Yeah, and for oh. a last minute notice, you know, I'm happy that we got you know a couple people out there. So we thank you for showing I'm, up. I'm happy we got it working. <laughs> yeah, after you figure out which buttons to push and everything. But <laughs> I know it. So, um, well, Julie, where can people find you? Oh, I can be found on Twitter at Julie Keel, J-U-L-I-E-K-U-E-H-L. And links to the other blogs, podcasts, and whatever else I've got going on can be found at about.me slash Julie Keel. And Jeff, uh, what about you? People can uh, follow me on Twitter at Bronco Sire, S-Y-E-R. And I can be found at, on Twitter at DSC Chipman, and I have an about.me page at about.me slash Mike McPeak. That's M-C-P-E-E-K. And that's it for this show, and we'll see you in the future. It's the sci-fi tech